0: how high will Fed rates have to go? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is George Goncalves, head of U.S. macro strategy at MUFG Securities. Hi, George. Great to see you again.
1: Great to be on, especially on Fed Day.
0: I know, and boy, it has been a, one heck of a sort of you know drama-driven last couple of hours of trade here. The Fed raised the benchmark Fed, Fed funds rate by 75 basis points, as widely expected. But it was really the language around that de- decision, and I think uh, not only in the statement but the press conference, and I think some confusion. You know, an initial read on it, and then listening to Jay Powell, the market coming coming back with a very different impression. Um, which left us down sharply on the day. I should say for anybody who's driving or listening to this, um, a really ugly finish for U.S. stocks after an initial rally. We're down three point three percent on the Nasdaq, uh, two point nine on the Russell, two point five on S and P, one and a half on the Dow. Um, wh- what did you make of the whole thing, George?
1: Look for me at the at, at the end of the day. This is really. Powell pushing back I mean for many years people would 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 say pal it was pivot pal that eventually he would always pivot uh I mean there's that notorious you know uh two thousand eighteen experience where there balance sheet was on cruise control and then yeah you know, the, that last hike for that cycle and then a couple of weeks later. He kind of flipped the script. And I think that, you know, obviously that's not what's guiding his decisions process here, but I do think that this is a much different power. Well, this is much different Fed altogether. It's a Fed that's realized that they were behind the curve and they don't even know if all of their policies that they put in place are, are actually take, having an effect yet. So this is you know still a hawkish Fed. They wanted to break this notion. The market's been trying for the last three attempts to say that they're going to pivot, they're going to pivot. And he pushed back on the pivot, you know, reiterating the idea that, just you know, if they slow down p- the pace of hikes, doesn't mean that they're actually done tightening, and that you know th- it's more about the level of rates and how long they stay there. That's what matters. Not about the not, not, not about the speed per se.
0: That's right. And that our question of the day came directly from Powell himself, and I thought he was really clear on that. It's how high they need to ultimately get that, not the pace, but how high they ultimately need to get that Fed funds rate, that benchmark that all the other banks use to set interest rates against. Um, how high that has to go, um, and you know, when we think about that, the terminal rate. By the way, you might hear people call it that. That's the the big catchphrase we're hearing now. When we think about that, George, you know, at what point do you think that they need to get to? The market seems to be kind of increasing where they think they're headed. What What are you expecting?
1: Well, the market, from last I checked, is somewhere around five percent or higher. The last Fed dots, which they produced on a quarterly basis, which was updated in September, was around 4.625, call it. And what we heard from Pal2, which is kind of maybe either a Freudian slip or something happened in one of the questions where he mentioned that, you know, know, the terminal rate is probably going to be higher, is higher today in order to actually combat inflation versus what we expected in September. So the fact that he actually had that reference Back to September, which they had their dots at 4.625, the market's at 5, that means it's higher than than here. I think really no one knows, to be honest, myself included, that, you know, what what does it take for the level of rates to actually slow down, you know, the aggregate demand enough? And they're using it through the blunt tools of largely financial conditions tightening, which is, you know, really working its way through the stock market and the credit market. In other words, like stocks and credit have to go a lot lower, impact the wealth effect. All this operates with a huge lag, and you get a, a reference around. You know, financial conditions uh, in the past would react to monetary policy. Now, it's the, almost the other way around, and then eventually impact the economy and then impact uh, the labor market and inflation. It's just that you know markets are reacting faster and and wanted a a, a, a quicker conclusion, mind you, but they're not getting it. And, uh, and instead, we're going to have to wait to see how long this this lag effect of financial conditions tightening will impact both the economy and, and the labor market and it's not there yet so is it five is it six I mean the, the traditional like Taylor rule suggests that you need to get the level of fed funds above the prevailing inflation rate which you know give it six percent do we really need to get the fed funds to six because if we do you know it's not priced in anywhere
0: yeah well that's the question I was going to ask you it was you know so we saw the that big reaction and we know that everybody had been thinking that we were going to start to get maybe some indication that they were gonna slow things down. Like everyone was really looking for that pivot language. So we may be setting ourselves up, said the bulls, setting themselves up rather for some disappointment. But when you say it's not priced in anywhere, I mean, d- as we were entering this end of the year, it felt like the markets were constructive. We know October was better. Everybody was maybe breathing a sigh of relief that some of those levels were tested. And even if we didn't rally again strongly, it didn't look like we were gonna plumb new lows. Is is this a whole new game now? I mean, are we looking at stocks that are going to go lower because the Fed wants them to go lower, and do they do they have to break those previous lows we saw?
1: I mean my our, our personal view or house view is yes. I think so. I think that you need to see a proper sustainable tightening of financial condition, not just a one touch go on thirty five hundred on the s p, for example. I mean that was a move that happened during CPI day and the market bounced back pretty aggressively. And we had a, again, a very powerful counter-trend rally primarily in in, in October, uh, you know, off of what was a pretty big low in September, and and that's fine. Like markets are going to, you know, not going to go down in a straight line, but this is a process. And if they truly are doing financial conditions tightening through these, you know, these mediums, which is primarily the equity market and credit, it has to get tighter from here, which means lower in, in valuations. Uh, and I think that, that we haven't seen the lows yet, and ultimately. I think that that is true for most asset classes. That's why I'm saying if if it's 5%, that's definitely not priced in for equities, but it's kind of priced in for rates. If it's 6%, nobody has this price to write.
0: Which is a scary prospect. Uh, you know, we w- when we're looking at this inflation picture, uh, the Fed is, has been pretty clear that, inflation has been stubborn. That's why they're staying on this path. One of the things that we got today, earlier in the day, is the labor market. Some labor market data. We have a jobs report on Friday, and the data coming out shows this labor market staying really strong. The private sector payrolls were higher than expected today. We'll see what happens on the government report. But how much of a problem is this for the Fed when they're trying to get that inflation contained?
1: I think it is their primary issue. Is there... They're nervous about the the old wage price spiral that eventually, you know, with the shortage of labor or just the tightness in the labor market, that the people keep commanding a premium for wages. And then you have this kind of self-reinforcing mechanism around your inflation expectations. You're you're seeing the cost of goods going up. Now you want higher wages. And if you can't break that cycle, then the Fed will then lose control of inflation expectations. The one thing that's good on their side is that the market believes them, like at least the TIPS market. The over, even the consumer the. US consumer is pretty sophisticated people sometimes want to downplay the. US consumer in the short run we're nervous about inflation we collectively as Americans but in the in the long run we're actually still thinking inflation will be contained because we think the Fed is credible if they were to back down today I think they would have lost some of that credibility so I'm actually you know, commending Powell for what he did because I know this is a really hard decision on their part but they they are truly committed to getting price stability back in into the US economy at all costs and, and that might mean you know at the you know at the Expensive financial assets, but ultimately it'll provide a much more level playing field for the economy over the long haul. This is a classic boom bust cycle. I mean, you can argue that they were kind of complicit with this, given all the QE and, and, and all the sort of stimulus that happened before. But they've got the joke now, and they're go- they're going for it.
0: Yeah, I, I also think it's very easy, uh, you know, to Monday morning quarterback, and that we forget that sometimes that the whole quantitative easing process is a large experiment that we're still trying to exit in the first place. And then you have a, you know, even though that's been going on for, you could argue far too long, but still, I mean, there's not a playbook for it. And a global pandemic that shuts the world down, um, it completely, you know, playbook for that. So, you know, there are, these are sort of uncharted territory, uncharted waters in some respect. You know, um, by the way, if you have any questions, you know where to put them, uh, you can drop them in the comment section. In the chat on YouTube, or you can put them on Twitter, and we'll we'll get to them. Um, You know, it's interesting. I spoke with Jesse Felder recently, and he made the argument that, um, you know, it's not a matter of when we think how inflation is going to come down. He thinks that there's some concern that we are in a different situation now completely, and that inflation is going to stay elevated no matter what. The Fed does. Let's have a listen to a clip from
1: that. A lot of these things are pointing to structural forces for inflation. You have a change at the central, you know, central bank in terms of policy. It's all pointing to a paradigm shift in secular, the secular trend in inflation. We've had 40 years of declining inflation. And now we're probably in the early stages uh, of a longer period of elevated inflation, which means everything that worked in the last 40 years for your portfolio is probably not going to work in the next you know, 10, 10, 20 years. You have to look at what are the things that work in, in an environment of higher inflation. And that's typically real assets. It's commodities, tips, um, precious metals, um, and certain types of real estate.
0: It was a fantastic conversation. That full interview is available on our website George, are we in a structurally higher inflationary period now? Has there been a paradigm shift?
1: At a minimum, I think we need to respect that view. We have to respect the idea that it's now more likely than in any other period in our recent history that these forces that are that are you know that that were described, that you know they might actually stick and stay around for much longer it potentially could be a paradigm shift and so i think that you know there is obviously you know there's two schools camps where Hmm. either it is structural or we're going to go back to the way that things were were before the pandemic and maybe that's true but you have to at least respect that idea that you know given commodities given the you know deglobalization and all the kind of frictions that have been thrown into the system that that should increase the overall level of inflation going forward
0: yeah. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
1: This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Windom. Your work can take you all over the place. Like Texas, you've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com.
0: We saw today just the complications that continue around the supply chain. I mean, China... You know, just a day after everybody thought there was maybe a different tone coming from policy leaders there, locking down the whole area right around uh, Apple's largest iPhone assembly plant, you know, heading into that critical holiday period. So supply chain issues no. seem like they're going to keep upward pressure on prices, but there's nothing the Fed can do about that. I mean, that seems outside their policy remit.
1: The the thing is, though, and that's actually was a question that Chair Powell also fielded in in, in some version of that. And at the end of the day, they have blunt tools and they need to impact aggregate demand in order to actually slow down the economy. And they also want to make sure that they're hard, you know, fought you know credibility on inflation especially now that they've regained a lot of it back they're just not going to you know not going to waver they're going to stay the course until either something does really break in the in the economy or markets or both and then they'll, they'll have a judgment call at that point but so far what, what has happened other than we've kind of deflated financial assets over time it hasn't been a epic kind of crash markets have been you know more two-way so i, th- I think you know in, in their eyes this is a healthy reset and a, you know and and we're going to see what what happens when when they actually do pause but even then we don't know so i feel like um yeah, till you know till till whenever and 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 argue that it doesn't work it does work through the aggregate demand channel and then that should at least level out supply uh down the road
0: yeah, I guess you could say there there should be a better way that you don't have to break something and inflict that kind of damage in order to in order to address it. Um that, that that's probably you know falls that responsibility probably falls elsewhere. Um, not not in the Federal Reserve's lab, but that's that's the worry. Do you think when they talk about being data dependent that concerns about financial stability are part of that? Because that's I mean, the balance, that's just... isn't it, now? we, we got to use this blunt tool. We know it's not perfect. We know we're going to inflict a lot of damage uh, that we otherwise, you know, wouldn't want to, because that's the only way we can get inflation down. Um, but, you know, are, how far, it's that, can they do both? And the, everybody's a a s says, no, they can't. They can't maintain I mean, financial stability and completely kill inflation. So where, you know, how do you think they're they're looking at that delicate balance?
1: I mean, and look it, and again, I'll go back to like one of the questions he had too, which is can you soft land or can you narrowly like kind of work through this very delicate process, both financial conditions and and the economy um look I, I think the, they've they've made their choice, their choice is price stability at all costs, and they're gonna they're gonna go there until there's either some pushback that's clearly evident. We haven't seen it yet though, and so the other thing which you know you have to think about. Especially for economists, you know, if, if you're you're reiterating your model and you're going through and you're not seeing an actual impact from your actions. you're you're just going to do more until you actually get some sort of pushback or feedback. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen enough feedback. I mean, yes, again, we could say stocks are down, but it has has been a repricing of valuations. It has been relatively orderly. Same thing with credit. Credit markets are still opening and functioning. Treasury market has had some issues with liquidity, but it's still functioning. I mean, if any of those sort of variables were to change and in a very material way, then yes, the Fed has tools around that. But I think even then, I think we'd be remiss to believe that they're going to somehow come back with a, a massive QE program or slash rates back down to zero. They're not going to do that. They're going to have much more tactical approaches going forward when it comes to financial conditions, in my opinion. I just don't think they're going to, they're not going to blanket the economy and markets with trillions of dollars like they once did.
0: Yeah, they're going to be a little bit more surgical about it. I think that's a very, very important point, George. Uh, Manis from the RV site asking, how low is the expectation for the S&P 500? Is 2,800 a possibility?
1: So I'm not the equity analyst. Obviously, I'm a macro strategist, and I primarily focus on U.S. fixed income. But, of course, we all look at every single asset class to kind of inform our view. I mean, look, it's a function of both where we think earnings are going to go as well as where we, you know, there's their value in the system. I mean, 3200 was the prior high prior, prior to covid 2800 is 14 times 200 bucks earnings, right? I mean, you can easily make the case where it's somewhere in between 3200 and 2800, uh, is some sort of place where maybe there is some value or, or, or value starts to form. Between now and anywhere between 3200 and where we are now. I still think that the market is not you know, really taking into account how aggressive the Fed's going to be at really crowding out capital. Think about it. You're going to get paid at some point, potentially five plus percent on plain vanilla treasuries, high quality corporates in the seven, eight handle. You're better off buying fixed income than buying equity, considering what the Fed is basically doing is forcing capital back into fixed income.
0: Yeah, which is which is really interesting. So I have some questions about that, but I want to ask Timothy's from the RV site, which is in your wheelhouse. Thoughts on high yield junk? Is now that's not what you were just talking about, but his concern is that the place where we haven't seen the lows yet, the thing that breaks, been a lot of concern about that. People are, uh, expressing a lot of surprise that we haven't seen more more action, more spreads widening out in that area.
1: So the one, the one, there's been a few kind of supporting features this, this past year, which really come that are linked back to the pandemic as well, where many companies took advantage of the low rates, tight spreads to issue debt. So many companies can still weather this storm. And it really comes down to now the point about the Fed saying how high and how long they can stay at upper levels of rates. Then it becomes more of a waiting game. Like how long can you afford this kind of debt servicing cost? And really trying to figure out the companies that really can't afford this, you know, debt servicing is really what's going to come down to. Um, I mean, there's pockets within all the different parts of credit that are going to be exposed to that issue. Uh, I still have been very clear on, like, it's the floating rate, you know, uh, you know issuers that have a lot of floating rate debt uh, that are now exposed to this higher rate environment. Um, and yes, higher, uh, high yield or the more junkier part of the credit system has uh, kind of avoided a lot of this so far, and it's been a function of less supply because they've been, again, they've been pre-funded before uh, during the COVID time period, so they have a lot of just capital that they've raised beforehand. So they're weather- they're trying to weather things out, uh, and we haven't had the proper recession yet. So we haven't had the the true decline to free cash flows or impact on delinquencies and defaults have not picked up enough yet to really make um, high yield or credit investors nervous and not just buy the dip which they you know they're also kind of guilty of doing similar things there so less supply there's been issue throughout the year both for investment grade as well as high yield and a kind of a tribal kind of effect that many of these managers they only live in their own little world around high yield when they have extra cash they put it back to work into high yield and that less supply kind of has been keeping uh, spreads narrow I think that that's you know that's going to be unsustainable going into 2023.
0: Yeah, great point. And you know, you know, you were just talking about cash flow, and we have seen the earnings come in. And while we're hearing about cautionary forward guidance, the earnings have, all in all, seem like they've been better than expected. You haven't seen that cratering in most areas that people expected.
1: Yeah, no, that's the thing. it's, it's just, it's a, you know, financial conditions work like a slow moving train wreck, and they're just. It takes so long to go through. By the time you see it, you're off the rails, and so I think that's you know early 2023, and that's with the Fed pushing rates as close as they can, maybe even above five percent, and and I think that's when we'll start to really feel that pinch from this overall tightening of both the, the interest cost on companies. Uh, the, the quantitative tightening that the Fed is doing with their balance sheet, taking liquidity out of the banking system. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of these things, I mean, the dollar strength, just, there's so much tightening happening right now. If the US doesn't fall into a recession, I'd be amazed.
0: Yeah, that's that, That's such a great point, George. You know who sees that train wreck coming uh, evidently is the bond market, because this is why we've been seeing this inverted yield curve. And some folks pointing out, wow, the Fed is tightening into an inverted yield curve. That's not something you see very often. Does that mean that if you are looking at treasuries that you need to stick to the shorter end, to shorter duration, or would you be looking at that longer end as an opportunity?
1: I mean, I think – a look, it depends. Everyone has different um, – Right, everyone's investment. risk profile.
0: With that as a risk caveat, profile, yes.
1: Yeah, and look, I think I've been relative defensive and, and suggesting so defensive plays around hiding in the one- to three-year part of the curve and just keep reinvesting as bonds mature. Or if you are in an actual ETF or something like that, just stay very short until we actually have a better handle that the Fed has done. It's clearly they're not done from what we heard today. And so you have an opportunity to keep reinvesting at higher rates. I think that's that's the way you play your fixed income portfolio. You don't extend duration yet. Having said that, I mean, having some barbell is not a bad idea. The you know the closer we get towards seeing these growth signs, we're already weakening. So we're already seeing housing you know, really uh, suffering here. Other sectors in, in, the, in the economy are going to continue to suffer you know, the, the consumer side. I mean, cyclical, all of this stuff is going to start showing up towards the holidays in the early part of Q1. So then maybe by then it's too late. So the here's the thing. So the Fed is still raising rates. So the bond market still respects the Fed. So even though there's an inverted curve, every time the Fed raises rates, even long-term rates go up too. So as long as the Fed is raising rates, we just don't know if the 10 year is going to stop at 450 or 475. It it will stay inverted. You might be able to average in at a better level down the road, is my point for the 10 year. Whereas holding some cash on the front end and waiting for the opportunity is probably the, probably the better bet in the, in the next couple of months.
0: Yeah, that makes sense, right? Because even if it's inverted doesn't mean it's all not drifting up as we sort of try to figure out where this where this Fed level is. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Great question.
0: Great, great question. Not easy for me to say. Great question from Robert. What asset class do you believe is the current best case safe haven? Sounds like maybe you're saying short term bonds, but is there something else that you're looking at as well?
1: I mean, I think some of the points that that Jesse mentioned, that I think, are spot on. I mean, it, it, it's still an inflationary environment until proven otherwise. So, any sort of inflation-protected uh, investment strategy, be it tips, um, you know, <laughs> I'm sure you've read all the stories about i-bonds and, and the and the manic obsession about everyone going after i-bonds. But, but I think any sort of inflation—all joking aside—all sort of inflation-protected type securities still makes sense because even let's say the Fed does. You know, get their arms around inflation. You know, over a three or four or five-year window, if if the Jesse view is right, you have the the, the risk of the echo, like the the wave, the second wave of inflation coming back, where you think you've won the the the, the battle, but it's just uh, the war. But you actually won a battle in inflation, then you have a second wave of inflation mm. in twenty four, twenty five, twenty six. So having some shorter dated tips that will allow you to participate in uh, a second wave of inflation makes sense so you know just having short-term t-bills which allow you to roll into higher yields and then maybe you t- take some of that money and move towards inflation protected securities uh over the course of the next six months well
0: what what is your take on the craziness going on with bonds? somebody just asked me about that the other day too what, what is your sense of what's happening there
1: I mean, look—it's—it's a—it's a—it's a vehicle. The thing is, it's, there's only a limited amount that you know investors could actually participate in, and so it's not really meant to be a trading vehicle. It's more like the savings vehicle, more than mm-hmm. it's like a savings bond. It's a savings bond, but I think it's just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, uh, reflective of this concern about you know the need for real assets and where to actually you know there's only a limited amount of real assets you real estate has probably won't do well initially cuz we're probably heading into a recession that's our base case but at some point real estate will still be a good store of value uh, anything that anything that generates good positive cash flows and that has indexation to inflation is what you want to be in over the coming years
0: what what is your take on the dollar uh George. Um, we know that dollar strength has been a concern for so many. Um, we, we don't have it up, but I, I just noticed right before we went on Michael Cow um, at Urban Cowboys saying uh, his take on the meeting, pal, the strong U.S. dollar is a problem for some countries, but we have a strong economy over here. It's every man for himself dynamic amongst the world's central bankers. Um, they certainly seem to be tolerating a stronger dollar. Does it continue to go higher from here? Or, you know, again, is this the risk where we see things, you know, this is where we see something break that's going to concern everyone?
1: So historically, if you go back and look at the annual return of the dollar, uh, whenever there's a a one-year rolling return of over 15% or 20%, somewhere in that range, something breaks. It's broken going back to the 1980s. I'd be impressed that it doesn't happen again this time. and there's, so there's that, there's that the, the dynamic, but you also have to think about it from a U.S. policymaker. Although, you know, the Fed always, I feel, feels conflicted in, in many ways. They know the dollar is the reserve currency, and they also know it's the main medium of exchange. And so that's an important thing uh, you know, as a strategic advantage for the U.S. But at the same time, a strong dollar, especially in an inflationary environment that we are now, is actually a good thing for the U.S. We're mm-hmm. an importing nation. Just imagine if we had a weak dollar and – then we would really be reliving the 1970s like Carter time period. If you, had a, if you had a weak dollar with all the inflation that we have now, inflation would probably be like 11 or 12% if the dollar was not as strong. So the, the, the fact that the Fed is like kind of looking the other way on the dollar, I think it's, uh, it serves our best interest that we have a strong dollar, especially in an inflationary environment. At some point when, when they get their arms around inflation, they're going to want the dollar to kind of weaken a little bit. Otherwise, the U.S. won't grow uh, down the road.
0: Yeah, but mean and of course, meantime, there's an enormous amount of strain that's putting on on just about anywhere else. By the way, on the on the site, um, there's a great masterclass, uh, an inside look at the Federal Reserve, what constitutes money and how do central banks control it. Um, really, really great uh look from um Joseph Wang, who is a former Fed person, um, and, and our own Mike Kulbot really going through all of that. So if you're interested, go check that out, because I think it's really informative of how this all works. And and to George's point about this, a sort of really delicate balance the Fed is dealing with when we look at the U.S. dollar. Um, George, so it's, it's so interesting. This is, I think, a really um, sort of critical time, because once again we were talking just before we came on air and it's like everyone gets to this point where we think the pain's over and this is it. And the Fed's done the hard work and they're going to pivot and everyone gets excited for it. And then the market just gets slapped back down again. Um, What are you most concerned about as we head through the end of the year?
1: Well, again, again, I commend Chair Powell for doing this because you want We want markets actually to get to a point when there is a bottom. Who knows where the bottom really is? I don't know either. But people usually, when they kind of give up on this idea of pivoting or easy money and everyone just kind of throws in the towel, then you know you're closer to a bottom. Everyone expecting the Fed to bail them out has to re-engineer their thinking. Like That is no longer your friend and on your side and providing liquidity. They're in fact taking it away and they're making the cost of funding much more expensive. So now it's all about fundamentals and where we think the economy is heading. You have that to think about from the medium term. So we have to really retool and rethink the way that we've operated for the last 15, 20 years where the Fed's always had our back in many ways. This is a completely different environment, at least in the short run for now. So we have to, like, if I can start seeing investors no longer try to call the pivot, then I'll feel we're closer to the bottom. And so far, you know, people still want to buy the dip. They still think that there's value out there. And so we have to, like, get that uh, out of the system, just get purge it a little bit. In the short run, I am I am nervous about, you know, into year end because now, The Fed has clearly said that that they're not done yet and that their terminal is probably higher. We have the Fed meeting in December. We have the midterms next week. Uh, And we have a a lot of other things which I think have been um, sometimes uh, overlooked, but actually even more important. It's what the other central banks around the world do, not just the Fed. Mm -hmm. Because everyone's trying to play catch up with the Fed. And like the Fed's kind of like on like on an afterburner taking off and like really leaving all the other central banks behind. They're not going to be able to keep up pace with the Fed. There's no way. I mean, I think like the others, like the ECB, we're already seeing the Bank of Canada start to come under pressure because of their housing market. Like the Fed is going to go for it where these other central banks probably don't have the um, flexibility to do so. So watching how the other central banks react might create like these like overnight volatility in markets. And also the dollar can keep stay can stay bid or even get even stronger. And that could create a perfect storm into the end of the year where liquidity becomes even more precious and the availability of balance sheets get taken down. This is again, this has been a rough year for the markets. Even rougher because a traditional 60-40 portfolio hasn't worked in your favor. But think about the bond holdings and the bond investors that are on the other side of that. They just don't have the animal spirits or the willingness to actually take down the market if they need to. So if balance sheets were to get constricted into year end and the market's trading down, it could be very gappy and liquidity could be a big problem.
0: Yeah, and 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 my takeaway and the translation of that for everyone is that that's a lot of pain. That's a lot of pain and a lot of liquidation. People saw everything in that situation or anything they need to, in order to you know to deal with that lack of liquidity and counterparty risk. Um and and George, if I'm looking at what we're talking about, the Fed not done. Take them seriously at their word. They care about credibility. They're willing to break some stuff. In order to get it done, as they've been telling us, but it is true, there is no pivot. Um, and there's a risk that that the, the ultimate rate at where they stop is a lot higher than the markets pricing in. Certainly higher than stocks are pricing in, but possibly higher than bonds are pricing in too, which added with your liquidity concerns um, is something that we all need to be very concerned about. Um, and if you're looking for a place to hide, short-term treasuries are probably the best bet, but it's going to be some some rocky times ahead. Absolutely. All right. Well, George, it's always fantastic to catch up with you. One of these days we're going to end on a really positive note, but not on a Fed day, not when you come visit on a Fed day right now, if Jay Powell's got his way, right?
1: We got, look, we got to see inflation head down, not just a few more meetings or a couple more, more months. We've seen inflation really come down, the Fed stop being hawkish, and then maybe next summer we'll be uh, a little bit more dovish and happier.
0: That's right. And maybe, maybe, the, maybe the silver lining is that Powell himself said they don't really understand inflation. So hopefully um, we'll see a quicker turn than anybody expects and we'll be having a different conversation. Maybe that's something we can hang on to. George, always great to catch up with you. Thank you so much. And thanks, thanks to me. all of you. Great questions. Thank you for your time. We'll be back here same time tomorrow. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there.